Right, hello everybody. Um, welcome to the LAC sessional on um, the valuation basis of, of long-term insurance uh, insurers over 2011. We've got uh, Tini and uh, Yoliswa here today. They're going to do a tag team for us. And um, so we're looking forward to what they're gonna gonna tell us today. And I know Tini's usually full of good jokes, so uh, we're also looking forward to, to Tini's jokes. So Tini, the floor is yours. Thanks for the for the opportunity again. Um, I'm not sure about the jokes, but let's see how it goes. Um, maybe just a comment from my side. First of all, Ulisa did most of the work on this presentation. So as these presentations go, all the credit goes to her. All the errors are mine. Um, so why are we here? Obviously, we're here to provide information to the industry on, on what we've seen in the LTs for 2011. So you know it is garbage in, garbage out. Um, sometimes, or a while ago, someone said of an actuary, an actuary uses statistics like a drunk man uses a lamppost. Sometimes it's more for support than illumination. So if this is applicable to you, fine. If you want to use this, what we see today, to support your own assumptions, so be it. If you can use it to enlighten some of the issues you are facing, good as well. So what will we show you today? We will talk about the, um, the insurance market in general, and then we will just review some, some samples of the AOS, the valuation assumptions. We will look at some key experience um, results, high-level stress test results, and then we'll have a quick look at what, what we've seen in the G6 statement in terms of top risks. Now, if we look at the, at the um, market, then no major changes from what we've seen previously. Um, Old Mutual, 25, Sunlam, 16%. Um, maybe just to, to note on this specific slide, it's on a legal entity basis, so you can see momentum and metropolitan still separately. Also, we haven't um, aggregated all the licenses within the Liberty Life Group. Um, the top 10 insurers makes up 87% of the total industry assets. Um, in total, we've got 79 insurers included in these results. Um, you will note that um, no, it's not on this slide, it will be another one. So, okay, let me keep that comment. Just interesting to note that uh, in, 20, in 2002, M cubed was still on this list and at number, at number eight. This slide shows the number of insurers and total assets split by year end. So maybe you can just see a 35 of the number of insurers have got December year ends. Total assets of just around about um, a trillion, a thousand billion. And obviously, uh, the June year ends at 17 of them with assets 350-odd coming through there. Um, maybe just to also note that we've treated a February year end and a December year end exactly the same. So there was just an aggregation of results, no adjustments made for, for investment return or anything like that. Quite an interesting slide, this one. This is now per the new LT designs for 2011. A um, couple of things to note here. Total premiums received gross at $314 billion, $254 billion paid out in benefits. Investment business, 886 That is now a um, billion in terms of, of policyholder assets. Risk business, 86 Initially, I was surprised by risk because it's relatively small, but then obviously you have the effect of, uh, of negative reserves in there as well. Annuities 308 and Universal Life 215. Um, of that, investments of 886, the linked only ins uh, 
insurance companies contributes about 32% of that total, of that 886. If you look at the annuities of 308, then linked annuities, the living annuities, constitutes approximately 35% of that 308. Um, yeah, it's perhaps relevant for this new debate on living annuities versus guaranteed annuities. Non-profit annuities is also about 35% of that 308. Perhaps also maybe surprising of that 308 if you just isolate the linked only insurers part of the living annuities of that 308, about 18 belongs to them. Um, if you look at the same classification, but now we're talking authorization classes, then you will see, as expected, most of the stuff in fund and life business. Um, assistance, disability, health, relatively small. Um, as before, 92% retention, which means 8% of your premiums are ceded to reinsurers. That's pretty much consistent with what we've seen in the previous year. Some of this information will inform the debate that we've got on segmentation. Um, so from a regulatory point of view, there's not much benefit to have assistance business different from life. And disability and health can, for all practical purposes, be combined as well. Um, this is just another cut of the same, same graph. So this is just the growth from 2010 to 2011. Um, the most striking feature here is the volatility in premiums of on the sinking fund class, 26% increase in premiums. Disability quite high as well. Um, in aggregate, premiums 10% up, claims 1% down. So cash flow-wise, it was a good year. If you look at the totals, um, then we've got 1652 total assets for the industry, total liabilities 1529, excess assets of 123. Now, there's a concept called anchoring. Uh, I've got in my mind always this question now, is 1.6 trillion a lot of money, yes or no? Okay, now obviously it is a lot of money, but if you look at our excess assets in the industry of 123, and you compare that to the, for example, credit granted for the second quarter of 2012. I mean, credit granted alone was 107 billion bucks. Credit granted in the second quarter. Credit granted for the 2011 year was 370 billion. Okay, so then 123 excess assets doesn't seem that much. Um, yeah, total debt to households, 1.3 trillion. Okay, so for what that's worth. You can also see that car before management action came down from 2010 to 2011, um, from 82 to 74. Some skeptics would say, you know, how can I put this politely? We didn't made an error in the previous year. We've merely developed methodology to model it more accurately, okay? But basically what happened is there were one or two insurers who has decreased their resilience car substantially due to better matching. Um, so yeah, average car cover came down to 3.45 and um, car removed by, through management action at 52%, which is a bit less than the 60% of, of 2010. Um, you can ask the question, how capital intensive are, are our insurers? Um, car before management action, 4.8% of total liabilities, thereafter it's about 23 if you exclude the linked insurers, then the car before is about 6% of the total liabilities and the after is just below 3% of total liabilities. If we look at, um, at, at, at our industry again on another, on another slice, then we've analyzed 74 insurers. As I've mentioned, in 2009, we've lost MCUBE along the way. 
in the previous year we've lost co-vision as well. Um, if we look at the allocation of new premiums received, then just under 60% goes to what we call typical. Maybe I should just explain that abbreviations on top. Um, at the FSB, we classify our insurers um, in, in various categories. We've got typicals, we've got the linked only, reinsurance only, assistance only, and then the niche guys and the sales. So net new premiums, 60% to typical, 37% to linked. And if you look at total new business, 72% of premiums goes to typical and 24% to linked. Um, net benefits paid, 78% typical, 20% linked. If we look at asset composition, um, then you can see here, typicals has got about just under 30% in equity. The link guys, slightly more in equity, just under 50% in equity. Um, you can see a quite conservative investment strategy reflected here by the reinsurers. Uh, one of the strange items in here is that big proportion of other assets that some of our assistance guys have got, and that's obviously something that we need to investigate. Um, the triangles just reflect the average investment return achieved over, over 2011. Uh, linked guys, 10%, typical 8%, average across the industry, about 9%. Yeah, maybe the, uh, another comment here is, although I've said equity is about 31% in total, um, that excludes the investment in CISs, which obviously can have some equity exposure in there as well. Now, Yulisa will, will talk us through mortality, morbidity, and, and some discount rates and, and withdrawal rates. Um, good evening. Um, so I'll be taking you through mortality and morbidity. Uh, we've compared the assumptions that are in the C10 statements, previously the G10s, to um, the SA8590 table and the A55 table on the annuity side. Um, and the results that you see here are the weighted results. These are weighted according to the size of the assets of the company. Um, so if we look at that first graph, um, that red line there is the SA8590 uh, 90 rates. And then you'll see that the orange line there is the assistance assurance, basically comparing the different types of uh, industries to that, uh, to that average table. Um, you'll see that the assistance assurance are heavier than the standard, and that can be expected given the type of business. And then much lighter are your linked insurers and your reinsurers are very much aligned to that uh, standard table. Um, this table shows you the change of mortality for assured lives. Now the dotted line shows you the changes that were made in 2010 and the solid lines show you the changes that were made in 2011. Um, so what that shows you, for example, for your females is that it seems that um, insurers did the absolute opposite of what they did in 2010. Um, this could possibly mean someone's very wrong or um, something else. And for males, the assumptions remain relatively the same, not much changes happening over there. But it's, yeah, it's interesting to note how the changes have, have occurred between 2010 and 2011. Is this weighted by insurers, not by number of policies, is it? Um, this is weighted by asset size, so... Yeah, by the insurers. So, so I mean, a mutual change would have the same effect as a change by a very small player? No, 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 because yeah, the assets are larger, it would probably come through more. Yeah. Um, this graph shows you the AIDS loading comparison between 2011, 10 and 9. 
Um, AIDS loading has been lighter in 2011, going back to 2009 levels. That's the, that's the light blue line over there. Um, so what this tells you is that the, at the 100% level that you see there, that the loading is basically double of the base rate. Um, heavier loadings as expected between your ages 35 and, and, and sort of 45. Now this is the same graph, again split by according to the type of industry. Very heavy loading for your niche players, um, they obviously in, the, in, in their own space. Um, not much loading for your reinsurers and your sales. Um, your assistance assurers there being above your, your typicals and typicals being sort of in the middle. And uh, because it's asset weighted, you'll see that the shape of the typicals follows the shape of the previous graph where it's around double and peaking slightly above there. This graph shows you the annual mortality by industries. We've included your typicals and reinsurers there. Um, reinsurers very closely, very closely aligned to that um, a55 table. And the suggestion that came across in yesterday's presentation is that we, we compare those rates to the PA90 table and, and we'll do that for next year. Now, what we've done here is compare the 2011 rates to the 2006 rates. So effectively, we want to see what uh, changes have occurred in, in assumptions over the five-year period. Um, the orange line shows you the assumptions without A's loading, and the blue line are the assumptions with A's loading. Um, so notice the high peak there between your ages for, for with A's loading, between ages 35 and 40. And that's a little surprising because we'd expected to see the effect of the um, advancements in, in sort of in, in ARV treatments and so on taking effect, but it looks like um, insurers haven't taken that into consideration when we're drawing up their tables as yet. Um, yeah, light, lighter assumptions for without AIDS <coughs> loading there. This is a similar graph to the previous one, only now we look at your annual mortality. Um, once again, we see the, the change from age 60 to 70, and then um, being different from uh, for the later ages. This, this these figures show you actual versus expected. So good experience for your assurance products and your annuity products. Um, the figures in the brackets show you the 2010 results. And, and, and so in 2010, it was 88 for individual business and, and 89% for your individual assurance products. Insurers continue making profits um, in, this, in this space. Um, this shows you your morbidity experience, actual versus expected. Uh, it's very volatile. However, as you can see, all, 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 those, all those percentages remain below 100%, particularly strong for your individual income disability business. That's, your, that's the lowest line that you see there in blue. Um, yeah, it's interesting to note the volatility, but still remaining pretty strong. Um, now we'll take a brief look at your discount rates. Uh, we've shown you the discount rates per uh, type of business. This is according to the new classifications in the LT 2011. Um, the square in the middle there shows you the average assumption. 
the maximum assumption is in green. So for universal life business, maximum assumption is 11.05%. The average is uh, 9.5. And the minimum assumption across insurers is 8.1. You can see that um, the assumptions vary quite a bit when it comes to the risk and annuity space. However, assumptions become quite similar for universal life products. Um, overall, the average assumption is 8.88% in 2010, that was 9.24%. Um, now we'll take a look at your withdrawal rates. This graph shows you the observed lapse rates for individual business. Um, these are lapses across all durations. We can see how, how uh, it has improved in 2011 with lapse rates coming down there. Uh, from the 2010 uh, results on for all insurers, um, particularly good experience observed for niche players and um, slightly that also for typicals. Um, and assistance players have shown an increase in their lapse rates in 2011. The observed surrender, surrender rates similarly improved um, on an overall basis, particularly uh, dropping for your linked insurers, slight improvement for niche, um, sales also coming through there. So yeah, overall a good, a good 2011. Observe withdrawal rates for group business. Um, here we see the volatility due to the movement of the group schemes coming through. Um, assistance insurers very volatile from year to year. Sales uh, coming down quite a bit there. Um, but yeah, on an overall basis, that has increased from the 2010 rates to the 2011 rates. Okay, um, Tini will carry on with the rest of the presentation covering expenses and, and the other areas. Thank you. So just a question for you on some of those termination rates. Were those the percentages that the insurers said they were assuming, or was that a ratio of sort of benefits in force? Um, those are the actual actual rates. Actual so, rates. Yeah. Someone once said, we know only when we know little. With doubt or with knowledge, doubt increases. And that's how I felt when I look at these expense results. And I'll show you a bit later why. Um, expense experience from C7 on individual business. Uh, insurers made a loss of about 0.6 billion bucks. <laughs> Shareholders had a substantial loss of 2.2, and I guess some of the insurers would blame it on the regulator. Um, but in aggregate, then a 2.8 billion expense loss for the industry. When it comes to expense inflation assumptions, um, you can see there for 2011, the, the average at 5.94, um, with the highest 7.2 and the lowest 4%. Um, not majorly different from what we've seen in previous years. Now, when it comes to the actual expenses, that total acquisition expenses includes the commission. So 19.2 billion day increase of 10% over that what we've seen in the previous year. And this is now where my uh, confusion comes in. We've seen a 10% drop in operating profits from the previous year. Now, I think it has to do with how the LTs are designed. Previous years, we've had operating expenses split between renewal expenses and claims handling expenses. And in 2011, we've allowed insurers to have an other line in there, which was not part of operating expenses. Now, what we've seen in the other line 
uh, expenses like asset management fees and once-off management expenses and uh, interest paid on collateral and all those kinds of expenses. Some of which I think should probably belong to renewal expenses, um, but that's how it is. So the total operating expenses, excluding those other expenses, amounted to 9.1. Those other expenses um, amounted to 4 billion. Okay, so it would have made a substantial difference to the operating expenses assumed if they were included in there. Okay, can, can you actually compare that 9.1 plus 4 to 10.1 or...? Perhaps and perhaps not, because I guess some of that 4.1 is truly once-off stuff that shouldn't belong in the 9.1. Um, this also talks a bit to my car calculation because as part of my car, uh, or car calculations, as part of the expense bit, I must use 10% of my operating expenses. Now some companies I was able to, or to link it back to what they've done on the B7 statement. So what they've done is they've taken the operating expenses being the, the claims handling plus the renewal and then they've added back those once-offs and others haven't. So there was a bit of a different treatment for various insurers in there. If you look at the actual expense inflation, so what we do here is we just do our actual calcs on the stuff. Um, if you exclude commission from your acquisition expenses, then relatively flat to the previous year, 4.9 billion versus 4.8. Um, and again, you've got the 9.1 versus the 10.1, the minus 10% coming through for 11. And our actual calcs, again, using the, using the information from the LTs, average initial expenses per new policy, that is now um, allowing for the acquisition expenses as reported together with the actual new business on a per policy level as reported. You will see assistance 328, cell captives 1146 linked relatively high, but that is because it includes the, the commission or the selling expense. Typical 1,800 with an average initial expense of about one six, slightly less than what we've seen in 19. If we look at the renewal expense assumption, um, now the width of this bubble uh, indicates the variance. Um, I guess the key takeaways from this specific graph is for recurring premium policies, the average assumption is around about 235 rand per policy per annum. Single premium slightly higher. Um, for annuities and payment on the right hand side of the graph, Maintenance expenses assume to be 85 rand per annuity per annum. Again, doing our own calculations on the, on the information received. Um, this is the various operating expenses that we get. Again, what we've used in here is the 9.1. So it excludes the 4 billion other expense. And I guess that's the reason why we see a decrease in the average operating expense per policy from the 246 to the 212. But all in all, um, the 212 doesn't compare too badly with the 235 assumption that we've seen. Yeah, on the right hand side, you will just see the operating expenses as a percentage of total net premium. So what we've done there is um, we've expressed the expense as a percentage of the, of the annual premium that we expect to see for that specific new business. Assistance relatively high at 13%, linked small because of the higher premiums. Coming to the capital adequacy requirements, this is just a scatter plot of um, the size of the, of the insurer on the asset side, together with the car cover. Um, as mentioned before, for all of our insurers, the average car cover around about 3.29. Um, in case you've wondered, that little green one just, well, 
very close to zero was Covision. Um, again, nothing major, nothing major here, but you can see that small um, aggregation of a smallish insurers around about the one mark, which is obviously our problem children. This graph just shows the analysis of companies that's on MCAR versus those that's on OCAR. So you can see approximately 50% of our insurers is on, is on MCAR. 40% odd is on OCA, 7-8% um, on TCA. Those companies that are on OCA contributes 90.4% of the total capital requirement and those that's on MCA only 3%. Um, if one excludes the linked insurers, then that 50% that's on MCA drops to about 38%. What we do here is we look at the composition of TCA between lapse risk and surrender risk, and you can see over time lapse risk and surrender risk um, are both approximating or getting closer to the 50% split. What we do here is we analyze the IOCAR composition. Um, diversification benefit is just over 40 odd percent. Um, investment risk is still the largest at uh, 66%. Upper risk just under 20%, credit risk 16-17. Labs risk also same, same, same amount. So maybe just to quantify the numbers a bit, upper risk. Total capital health for upper risk is about 6.6 .6 billion, which is 18% of total car. Credit risk is 4.9. Uh, these figures might look slightly different than what I've shown on the previous graph. The previous graph was relating the percentages to IOCO. This is um, after the grossing up factor. <coughs> if we look at the insurers that uses management action, that you can see uh, only approximately 22% of our companies use management action. Most of them in the link or in the typical space. Um, 13, 13 out of the 28 typicals uses management action. Effect of management action, again, no major surprises from what we've seen previously, other than to note that the impact of management action is reducing. Um, management action reduces um, just over 40 odd percent of the total capital requirement. So what do you expect it to see? That's an interesting question. Um, and I'll, I'll touch to that point when it comes to stress testing. When it comes to these presentations and uh, our preparation for it, um, it normally highlights some issues that we would like to take up with companies when we do the on-site visits. Um, at this point, there are two things that not an issue, but it's something that I need to understand better. One would be the expense analysis, i.e. what amount of that operating expenses actually goes into the setting the valuation assumption. Um, and the other point is the impact of management action. Um, that is a sp specifically a, not an issue, but we don't understand it as yet. Um, the, the act it's relatively easy for the actuary to assume certain management actions when it comes to allowing for removing non-vesting bonuses and all of those kinds of things, but it's a different issue when he needs to convince his policyholder committee that he actually wants to do that. So that whole interaction we need to understand better. Um, yeah, overall car reduced 52%. Some companies reduced TCA as well. Investment risk is obviously where the most management action lies. When it comes to the analysis of surplus, then we've grown our excess assets with about 9 billion. Um, just be, be mindful of the fact that that includes the outcome of the 12 billion dividends. So it's not as bad. Um, I guess what's interesting to note here is that tax of 3.9 billion, 
Of that 3.9 billion, approximately 2.3 billion relates to shareholder tax. So a 2.3 billion tax on an increase of nine is perhaps not as bad. So treasury shouldn't complain too much. Um, the other interesting point to note is the release of margins, which contributed 11 billion. Obviously, within the same environment, one would not have that buffer within the AOS anymore. So there will be substantial more volatility expected in the analysis of surplus in the same environment. Um, I did allude to the fact that the expense experience of that 2.8 that you see here, 2.2 is shareholder expenses, there is policyholders. Um, mortality experience positive, mobility experience positive, early withdrawal experience positive. Now, we've introduced some stress tests. The larger insurers will do this twice a year, the smaller ones only annually. Um, I guess what's important for me here is not necessarily the result of the stress test itself, but it's more the discussion that I hope takes place within the company around the result. Um, so what we've analyzed here is the, the car cover, that left column or the middle column is actually just the car cover um, before we've done the, no, that's, right, that's after the stress and after the management action relative to the base average of 3.48. So what you will see here is, for example, on the equity shock, the car cover drops to 2.99, which um, equals a 14% drop in car cover. Uh, economic scenario is also relatively large, a 19.5% drop. But what is clear from this shock is that um, some of the concerns that the FSB had over the last couple of years are maybe not as big an issue, for example, volatility. If we look at the non-economic stresses, um, I was a bit surprised by the 28% by the change in car cover for the mortality and mobility shock. But then again, that should be, that should be taken against uh, the fact that not all companies use management action when doing these stresses. So if they do allow for management action, that will probably not be not as bad. But again, the absolute numbers is not a concern. It's the debate around the numbers that are takes place within the insurer. This is a slice of the same graph, but we've now only looked at typical insurers. Average car cover before the stress is that orange line of 3.11. You can see equity drops it to 2.43 with economics and only 2.16. So again, one of the issues or one of the things that the FSB would like to understand are the management actions assumed within these stresses and how that relates to the whole interpretation of TCF. Um, same just for the non-economic stresses and you can again see the impact on mortality and morbidity. Now we've all looked at the top risks as well and this is now as identified within the G6 statements So now we are slightly out of the domain of the STAT Act. Um, if you look at the top risk for the industry as a whole, um, the darkest brown color are the number of companies that said that's the highest risk. Okay, so if you look at insurance risk, then you will see that just under 40% of the uh, companies mentioned that insurance risk is actually the highest risk. Market risk relatively low scoring, legal and regulatory risk higher scoring, op risk also, also amongst them. I was a bit surprised by market risk having scored so low. You can obviously see liquidity risk, relative, not relatively, very, very low. And I mean, the argument is, is quite clear. Insurers are not banks. If we do the same for typical, insurance risk go much higher. Um, 
and legal and regulatory risk as well. Credit risk, not an issue. Strategic risk, also not relatively not that important. Um, what's fascinating here is, is insurance risk, not that important for assistance business, but credit risk is. And when we've analyzed that, um, it is because of the fact that a, a number of assistance of the assistance insurers use groups or intermediaries that hold onto their premiums for a while. So I guess that's a big issue for them. Um, is, is that the unknown asset that uh, all these guys have in No, it's not that. That's reflected as such in the, in the LT. So it's, it's another kind of asset other than balances with intermediaries. Very interesting, yeah. This is the link, guys. Opera score very, very high. Liquidity risk, market risk absent. Legal and regulatory risk is there as well. Um, strategic risk substantially higher than on the other markets. Just some of the others. HR risk, key man dependency, recruiting and skilled staff important, opera risk important, regulatory risk important. I mean, a number of them mentioned the, the tsunami of regulatory change coming over them. Um, strategic risk, and this is especially issue on the on the link side, competition is a, is a big deal. Um, just to, to honor Neil, I would like to end off with a quote. Conducting a data analysis is like drinking fine wine. It is important to sniff and to swirl and to unpack the complete bouquet of the wine and to appreciate the experience. Gulping does not work. Now, I guess it's the same with a presentation like this. The devil is in the detail. Apologies if we've um, gulped some of the stuff. But the presentation should be available on our website sometime early next week together with an Excel worksheet that will um, clarify some of the workings behind it. Thank you. All right, thank you, Tini and Yoliswa. Are there any questions from the audience? Tini, uh, when you said on the asset slide that the equities did not include collective investments, did they have their own bar or were they as other? No, they've had their own board. Did they? Okay. okay. Total, yeah, total investment in CIS is approximately 28%, and um, equity is about 31%. On average, equity exposure came down, I guess, from about 38 to 31. Right. No further questions. Um, then just, uh, there's an attendance register that you can sign for um, CPD purposes. Um, the Life Assurance Committee organized the session of us. And then I just want to thank Old Mitchell for hosting us today. Right. Thanks. And thanks again, Tini and Yaliswa. It's nice to see a new face here from the FSB. So, thanks. <laughs>